0: This is the Clonmel Podcast with Mark Whelan.
1: Hello, it's Mark here. Welcome to the Clonmel Podcast for this Friday, the 8th of April. We're on episode 80. Can you believe that? And this podcast is brought to you by County Tipperary Skillnet. Flexible, industry relevant, subsidized training for people in business. Find out more at CountyTipperarySkillnet.com or call 52 61 and SkillNet Island is funded from the National Training Fund through the Department of Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science. So, how was your week? All good, I hope. Well done to United Cricket Clonmel, who beat the Mighty Queens. oh yes, in their first pre season match. Staying with sport, always good to see a new business open up. And best of luck to Dillon Golf Shop, which is opened at the Clonmel Golf Club. Congratulations to Tipperary Museum curator Marie McMahon, who is the new chairperson of the local authority museum's network. Well done to the winners of last weekend's Strictly Seesaw. Did you go at the Talbot Hotel? How good was this? Elaine Hickey and Jack Murray won on Friday, and Sarah Jane Ryan and Carl Clancy won on Saturday. Well done to everyone who took part, and also people working behind the scenes. It was a great night. By the way, what about that crisp packet that was found behind a wardrobe in Clonmel, I believe it was in Shanavine Way, with the crisps still in it? We think it's from the year roughly 1985. The price on the pack was 13p. And I wonder, where were they actually bought? No doubt one of those local shops that is sadly no longer with us in town. And no, I believe the crisps weren't actually tried and tasted after being found. Come on. Would you from 1985 so what is coming up this week on the Clonmel podcast well I check in with Phil Guida on his 1000 kilometre walk cycle for concert I like to see how Phil is getting on every week and how the body's holding up by the way Phil's wife Anne chats about her Ukrainian father's life and his connection with Clonmel Anne-Marie McGrath talks about Chinese herbal medicine on the Nador Wellness Hub plus bingo news, jobs and lots more great stuff coming up
0: the Club podcast.
1: But first, it's time to pop in to this month's Nador Wellness Hub with Amory McGrath.
0: The Wellness McGrath Nador Wellness Hub.
1: Amory McGrath from the Nador Wellness Centre. Welcome to the Nador Wellness Hub. Thanks, Mark. What are we talking about this month?
2: We're talking about Chinese herbal medicine.
1: Okay, so what is Chinese herbal medicine?
2: It's a plant medicine. So the plants and the flowers are all taken from the earth. And they're all organic. And then we use every part of the plant and every part of the flower to treat different conditions in people. So they're crushed down and used to treat different things. None of the plant is wasted.
1: How would you take it? Is it orally?
2: Well, the method I use is in granules. So they're, it's crushed, it's dried and crushed down into granules, which can be taken off the spoon with a little bit of water. And that just means that the person doesn't have to do anything to prepare it. It's just ready to go for them.
1: And why would someone decide to go down this route rather than taking a conventional medicine?
2: It's a, it's a natural alternative and what um, a lot of people do is they take it in conjunction with their, their other medication and it helps to support them and alleviate some of the symptoms that they might be getting from other medication. Or depending on the condition, it might be able to just be used on its own. There mightn't be a need for anything else to be taken with it.
1: And can you use that to treat most conditions as well?
2: Yeah, like herbal medicine can be used to treat everything and anything. And usually when the person comes in for a consultation, you know, they might decide that they're going to do just herbs on its own or they can do the herbs and combine it with another treatment like the acupuncture.
1: So the herbs are available at Nadal Wellness Centre in Market Street. Yeah. If someone comes into to you for a consultation, what's the process?
2: So, the consultation will last anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half, and I will be asking them questions holistically about everything in their life, um things that they might't even think are related to what their condition that they're coming in with. And then at the end of that, then, I will determine what herbs are needed and create a formula. So I'll combine herbs usually. There might be a lot of different herbs in the one formula bespoke to that person. So two people could come in with the same condition. But they might not get the same formula, so it's very bespoke.
1: And can you use it in conjunction with another therapy, say so like acupuncture?
2: Yeah, yeah. So the herbs, you know, they can they can work a bit faster. So depending on what's going on for the person, when they take the herbs, it kind of speeds up the initial process a bit. That's why we'd often recommend them, especially for something like fertility or for any kind of gynae issues for women. And then they can come in and get the acupuncture maybe once every three weeks. And the acupuncture can work on the body in a different way and that helps to support the process of taking the herbs and the herbs can work deeper and faster than every time they're getting the hands-on treatment as well.
1: And also I gather, depending on the condition or the ailment the person has, that also depends on the course of the herbs.
2: Yeah, like if somebody has something that's acute, like they have a respiratory infection or, or you know, something like that, they might only have to take the herbs for two to three weeks. But if somebody comes in and they have something that's very chronic, that's been going on for a long time, they're looking at taking the herbs for longer because the unravelling process has to be done. And, you know, each time we're reviewing the herbs, we might change the formula slightly every three to four weeks to match where they're at in the process. So they could be looking at a few months at least. Also, there's topical herbal ointments and liniments that can be used. So, for example, if somebody had skin condition like psoriasis or eczema, they might take the herbs internally and then they can use a topical ointment or a cream externally, especially in that initial first four to five weeks so that you're tackling it from the outside and the inside. And you'd hope that they'd meet somewhere in the middle and be that bit faster. And then there's also um, liniments for pain that can be rubbed on to help muscles. And there's teas which actually taste nice that can be used if the condition is not too bad. So if somebody was having trouble sleeping, but it wasn't extremely chronic. You know, it was just the odd night here and there. You know, we have some strong herbal teas that can help for that.
1: I've seen those for sale inside Nador Wellness Centre by reception there. Yeah. The desk, given yeah. a display of the teas.
2: Yeah, they can just be sold over the counter. We don't even need to do a consultation because they're just something that's helping someone, you know, just on a kind of... For everything. Yeah, mm. yeah, just kind of ad hoc. We're not trying to target something specific.
1: So, if people do want to get in contact with you regarding either a consultation for the herbs or maybe just picking up some of those herbal teas, how can they get in contact, Anne-Marie?
2: Um, they can give us a call on 052 6104968. Or we're on social media as well. We're on Instagram or Facebook, Nador Wellness Centre, Clanmel.
1: Anne-Marie McGrath from the Dore Wellness Centre. Thank you for joining us on the Nador Wellness Hub this month.
2: Thanks, Mark. The Nadur
0: Wellness Hub.
1: Thank you, Anne Marie. Now, as you know, Phil Guida is on his 1,000-kilometre walk cycle to raise funds for Cancer. This morning, I popped along to the Blue Way to see how he's getting on. I'm back down on the Blue Way on this Friday morning. It's a cold and nippy one, and I'm in search of Phil Guida, who's on the 1,000-kilometre walk cycle to raise funds for Cancer. Hang on a minute. Hey, Phil, how uh, are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. So, how's it going this week?
3: Very good. Saddle sore, but good. Saddle sore. <laughs> Big change in the weather though, Phil. Yeah, it is a bit, especially today. The wind being against me coming back from Carrick. Yeah, a bit windy, but um, actually it's not too bad. Well, I don't mind the wind. I just, just I don't mind the cold, I'm sure I say. I hate the wind.
1: So what was the journey now today? Where did you go?
3: Uh, all the way to Carrick and back. Now she'll go up a bit further. So I want to try and get about 52, 53
1: K Do you know roughly how much distance you've covered so far?
3: about 530 kilometres
1: that's a lot isn't it so you're over halfway there
3: well over the half yeah and um what is it eight, 19th day so i've got roughly another 20 20 days to, to to achieve the the thousand or less with a bit of luck
1: and how's the response been since last week
3: slow but okay okay yeah slow but slow but okay yeah people are still i think actually what's happening is people are donating going straight to a concert to donate money because they're a bit concerned going on the GoFundMe, funding putting the details down, yeah. which is fair enough, you know.
1: I know you mentioned this last week on the podcast. People can actually do that, can't they?
3: Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and they're very uh, okay about that. They say, just knock on the door and as long as they just say what the money's for, so that, that way they don't distinguish it between one and the other. All they have to do is just say, it's towards Phil's 1,000 kilometre walk.
1: And you mentioned the GoFundMe page too. People just go onto to that and donate if they want to?
3: Absolutely, yeah. The GoFundMe is under the, again, Phil Phil's 1000K concert walk.
1: Now, I like to ask you every week, how's the body holding up?
3: Uh, this week a bit tough.
1: Oh, no, really?
3: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I I took a day off yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yeah, I took a day off yesterday. I was just in a lot of pain. But I am feeling okay today.
1: OK, don't forget, we see Phil along the Blue Way doing his 1,000km cycle and walk challenge for Concierge, give him a shout, give him a wave. You know, he's, he'd love to see you. He really, really would. Get the encouragement going. And Phil, we'll talk to you again next week.
3: Yes, please. God, yes, we will. And uh, thanks very much. Good to see you again, Mark. Off he goes.
1: Back up the Blue Way. Thanks, Phil. Cheers,
3: mate.
1: Top man. Thank you, Phil. Now, Raheen House are holding a Prosecco afternoon tea with proceeds going to the Irish Red Cross Ukrainian Crisis Appeal. It's on Saturday, the 16th of April at 1 p.m. The price is €20 euros per ticket and you can book at info at raheemhouse.ie or call this number oh five two six one double two one four zero. Uproar Rock Chorus are performing with musical guests under the arches at the main guard tomorrow, Saturday at 2 p.m. This is going to be brilliant. And there will be a collection for the Ukrainian Relief Fund. Peaks Mountaineering have their Knock Meal Down crossing on Saturday, the 23rd of April. Three walks, all levels of fitness catered for. Now, closing date for registration is Friday the 15th. Hang on. That's, uh, oh, that's Good Friday. That's next Friday, the 15th. All the details on the Peaks Mountaineering social media pages or their website, www.peaksmcclomel.ie. Seesaw have their free coffee morning every Monday and Wednesday from 10.30am to 12.30pm at 24 William Street. You can pop in for a coffee and a chat. You can also request a private chat with one of their volunteers. Also, their drop-in listening service and telephone service is on Monday, 6.30pm to 7.30pm, and every Thursday too. You can also call 05261 72477 during this time for a chat if you can't call in. This year's Clonmel Darkness Into Light Walk takes place on Saturday, May 7th from the Clonmel Town Soccer Club in Adolf Pieter House. The library in town are having a library bag competition. The kids will love this. Using only one colour, they must create a design for a reusable library bag. The theme is Eco Kids. A prize will be given for the winner, and you can drop your entry into the library by the 22nd of April. That's Friday, the 22nd of April. Good luck. Staying with the library, the 54th annual exhibition from the South Tipperary Arts Group runs until tomorrow, Saturday. So well worth a look if you haven't seen this yet. It's brilliant. The Tipperary Museum of Hidden History are running Easter art activities. It's over three days, the 12th, 13th and 14th of April from 11am to 1pm. Prices are mere €10 Euros, and you can book by emailing museum at tipperarycoco.ie. Clarahan GAA Club are doing a virtual Head to Mallonhead cycle to raise funds for the club for lights, pits, etc. It starts at hands Daybreak on Sunday, the 1st of May at 8pm and finishes at 11pm at Harney's Final Furlong Pub. You can donate on their GoFundMe page and get more information on their Facebook page. And good luck, everyone. Great news for the Blueway. It's now received official recognition from Fulcher Island. This now means that outdoor recreational areas will be aimed at driving water-based activity tourism like kayaking, paddling trails, safe access to water, as well as cycling and walking trails. Love the Blue Way. Aldi on the Western Road is closing for 8 to 10 weeks from Monday the 18th of April due to those refurbishments which seem to have been going on for, like, ages. Didn't they start before Christmas. I mean, come on, who does that for goodness sake? Who does that around Christmas time when it was busy? I actually stopped going there for two reasons. I couldn't get any parking and I was sick of going in there for a pint of milk and coming out with a chainsaw. Does anyone know what they're doing there, by the way? Are they putting in a bakery like Lidl's? Because let's face it, the bakery Lidl's is amazing, isn't it? It really, really is. But there we go. So uh, we'll keep it updated when they are back open. Remembering Joe Dolan is coming to the Feathered Ballroom on Saturday, April 30th at 8pm, featuring the original Joe Dolan Band. Tickets available from the Feathered Post Office on 05261 31217 and from eventbrite.ie. There'll also be a bar extension and Mad Mike will be spinning the discs at the disco. Oh, and Feathered beware. I believe the O'Brien sisters from Powerstown are making their way out that night. Just thought I'd warn everyone. In the open, present Prism at the Kickham Barracks this coming weekend, the 8th, 9th and 10th of April. Tickets are €5 Euros, and this is set to be another amazing night at the historic Kickham Barracks with live dance music performances mixed with circus performers, the Hunchback Choir, the Alison Cronin Dance Academy as well as Spree Waterford. Tickets available now from junctionfestival.com and enjoy the night. Now, this coming Sunday, the Clonmel Antiques Art and Vintage Fair comes to the Talbot Hotel, Poppyfields. It's on from 11am to 6pm. Admission is €3.50. Children are free, and there will also be a raffle. Love those fairs. Monday Night Bingo continues at the Hillview Sports Club this coming Monday, the 11th. The jackpot stands at a grand. Prize money is €2,000. Doors open at 7pm, and it all starts at 8pm. Now, this week, you could also win... Easter eggs and a hamper. What better way to spend a Monday evening? Great bingo and your mouth covered in chocolate.
0: Love that. The Clomel Podcast Job Spot.
1: Jobs this week. What have we got? Dylan Burke Golf Shop is looking to hire a sales assistant. Retail experience desirable but not essential. Some weekend and bank holiday work. You can email your CV to info at Mr. Price in town are looking for store assistance. Apply at www.mrprice.ie slash jobs slash sales hyphen assistance. Name it at the Showground Shopping Centre. Are looking for a part-time sales assistant? You can email exirl335285 at bestseller.com. I know, a bit of a strange email address, but there you go. McCarthy's and Feathered, mmm, love their food. They are looking to hire a chef and a cook. To apply, email info at mccarthy'sfeathered.ie or call this number. See, do it the old-fashioned way, 086-811-9625. It's all about emails these days and very rarely phone numbers, isn't it? Chadwick's out the Powerstown Road are looking to hire a general operative. Email chadwicksgroup-careers.ie slash warehouse slash apply. Coolamore starter looking for a farm office administrator. You can send your CV to Aideen Arthurs at this email address, hr at coolamore.ie. A sales assistant is wanted at Dunstores Oakville. More on DunStores.com. Paul Tobin Butchers are hiring. They're looking for a cook food operative. Good salary, flexible hours and Sundays and bank holidays off. Yes, what more could you ask for? You can apply by emailing Paul. TBN at gmail.com. That's Paul. TBN at gmail.com. Waiting staff are wanted at the Junction Cafe. More on IE.indeed.com. And finally, Woody's at the Poppy Fields are looking for a store colleague. 10 euros fifty an hour. IE.indeed.com has all the details for you. If you would like to advertise a job on the Clommer Podcast, email Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, time for this week's interview. I spoke to Anne Guida during the week, Anne's late father was from Ukraine. He also spent many years here in Clonmel, and Anne told us his story.
0: The Clonmel Podcast.
1: We're all aware of the terrible situation right now in Ukraine, and there's more fundraisers taking place in Clonmel this weekend and surrounding areas. I'm now joined by Anne Guida, whose father, whose late father, was Ukrainian. And welcome to the Clonmel podcast. Thank you. Tell us about your dad.
0: Okay, Dad was Basilivasic. As you say, he was Ukrainian.
1: Where in Ukraine was he from?
0: A small village by the name of Pukiv. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right. P U K I W. It's it's western Ukraine that he was from, um, but he, you know. To be honest now, when we were children, he didn't talk too much about life in Ukraine, little bits. He talked about um, in the winter going, having to go to school on skis, you know, with the snow, because obviously we didn't have that much snow over here, um, you know, but um, unfortunately he was, he was taken from home only at the age of 15. He was taken? He was taken by the Germans. So we're talking 1940s?
1: 1942.
0: Yeah, he was in school. Um, at that stage, actually, Ukraine had already been invaded by the Russians. Um, so the Russians had invaded in from the east and had taken over. He did talk about the town hall um, being becoming one of their offices, if you like. Mm. Um, but at then in the uh, in the 1940s, then the Germans invaded in from the west. And it was actually the Germans who went into the school and took the boys from school they separated them from 15 years up and those younger the 15 years up were physically taken away to put on a train Um, didn't get the opportunity to go home to tell his parents as it happened a neighbor saw what was happening a neighbor of his parents and went and told them what was happening at the school Um, so they did catch him at the train station, but literally to see all the boys being taken off, um, the idea was to help the Germans in their war effort. Um, So he, being only 15, he was taken to um, a farm in Germany and was put as a farm worker, Mm -hmm. yeah, to help their war effort. Now dad actually joined the resistance at that age, like, you know. Um, him and a lot of his friends joined the resistance. They weren't in the German army or anything. So so that would have been three years then, until 1945, when um, the Americans came in and liberated them, as they thought.
1: Can I just interject here for yeah, a moment and I'm, ask, what about his parents? Did they survive the
3: war?
0: Oh, they did. Yes, they did. Thank God. Yes, yeah. Um, yes, they all survived the war, actually. Um, But Dad was, as I say, the the Americans came in to liberate them and said, you know, you can head home back now. Now they they knew that the Russians were still in Ukraine, if you like, the Russians had still taken over. And there was concern about going home because Dad knew that an uncle of his had been sent to Siberia by the Russians for being a nationalist and, you know. So anyway, they went off on the train, but they realised before they got as far as you, well, it didn't get as far as Ukraine, that it was actually going to Russia. It wasn't going to Ukraine. Oh, my God. So they jumped, himself and three others jumped the train. Um, And over a long time, as in weeks and weeks, they made their way back, um, back to Germany. You know, I think they went through Poland. He talked about going through Poland and, you know and he learned to speak a number of those different languages all you know perhaps not too fluently but he he, he could get by Mm. yeah and he did pose as a Pole at one stage and he posed as a German at another stage you know just to get the transport on the trains or to you know if he got stopped by anyone Um, but anyway made his way back to Germany and to almost like, I think, I think like a commune, if you like. And he, he did sort of, and there was a lot of Ukrainians there and he was there for a while, you know, sort of, I'm talking maybe two or three years. To be honest, I'm not good, figures wise, how long. Um, And he did meet his sister. His eldest sister had a similar story to himself.
1: Did he have many siblings?
0: He had two sisters. Right. Yeah. Um, one one elder, one younger, so his elder sister's story was very similar to his um, in as much as I think she was taken from home to help the German war effort and it was actually when he was back in this commune that they met, again they met up, um, but she at the, by that stage she had married, married a Ukrainian and um, they had made the decision that they were going to Australia, there was an opportunity to get a boat. To Australia. Um, she wanted him to go, but he
3: declined. chose not to. Mm-hmm. He
0: declined, yeah. You know, I'll be honest and say I don't know how and why he chose to get to the UK, but but he did, like, you know, and it, I suppose it would have been in about 1950, 51. Um, he was
1: a very young man at this stage he still, was, wasn't yes, he? yes,
0: yes, yeah. Yeah, because he was 15 when he left, when he was taken from home in 42, so...
1: Did he ever talk about that time to you when he was taken? No, Mm.
0: no, no, and like I say, when you're a child, you don't ask the questions either. No, you You don't, do you? We were talking about this off air that when
1: you're young, you don't seem to ask. It's when you get older, you become more inquisitive.
0: That you want to know then. About your family history. Yeah, yeah. So he
1: made his way to the UK? He
0: made his way to the UK. I know that he landed in Yorkshire initially and worked in the coal mines. Um, so he worked there for a while but then developed TB so he ended up in in hospital for a while, for a three or four months I understand like with TB and obviously then couldn't go back to the coal mines because he'd had TB and um, somebody, I, I'm not sure who, but had said to him you know you'd make you'd make quite a good ward orderly like you know um, on the wards and he again he ended up in Reading, anyway that's as much as I can tell you, in a hospital at Borough Court, the place is called Borough Court Hospital and it was a hospital for people with learning disabilities um, because in those days people with learning disabilities were in hospitals mm. as they, they they called them then like you know um so he worked there as a ward orderly and again like in on reflection it has to say you take things for granted about your dad when you're young but you know English wasn't his first language but he was sort of um, persuaded that he'd be good enough to, to do his training and that's what he did, he trained as a nurse in learning disabilities and um, that's where he met Mum. Ah,
1: okay, yeah. right. Yes,
0: yeah, she was Irish, Mum was Irish from Drangan and um, she had gone over the same thing like to get to get work a neighbor had taken her and her friend over that this neighbor was a matron uh, in borough court hospital and um, she took mum and her friend over to do their nurse training so that's where mum and dad met was in borough court hospital being training as nurses now as it happened they they got married and they had my sister so mum never completed her training but dad did he qualified as a nurse um and and I say worked for the rest of his his working days, then worked for the NHS um, looking after people with learning disabilities over in England.
1: He loved Ireland, didn't he?
0: He absolutely loved Ireland, obviously he'd never been to Ireland until, and he hadn't been before they got married again, in those days like boys and girls went away to work and they got married, you know, they didn't have the opportunity to come home to get married or anything, they got married. In plus, Reading,
1: didn't have much either back in no, those days. Let's no. be honest.
0: No, they yeah. got married in Reading. Um, they had their honeymoon in London at my mum's aunt's. My mum, an aunt of my mum's, was living in London, um, and they went to her house and had a few days in in Shepherd's Bush in London. That that was very was their well. Honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, and as I say, then my sister was born, and Mum, my granddad, here was was dying here, and Mum came home with the baby, um, with my sister, and dad, dad was following on. Obviously, he couldn't come at the time, but he was he was following on later. So he never actually met granddad, but he came. So that would have been 1953. Maggie was born in 53. Yeah. So it would have been 1953. He came, 53, 54. Came to Ireland for the first time, um, and absolutely loved it from the first time he came. He loved Ireland. He loved my grandmother, um, and he said, "This is where we're going to live when we retire." You know, and that was just always the plan. I so say we came most years. We came on holiday for the month of August to Drangan, to Rathkenny in Drangan. Um, and Drangan. He and ju- he just loved that month off, that month in Ireland. And um, like I say, he, he just took it to his heart. He likened it a lot to Ukraine. I mm. think the the countryside and the peace and quiet and fishing was one of his greatest hobbies when we came on holiday, um, fishing. And he, he really got to know a lot of the local people in Drangan would have obviously known him well it was where mum grew up obviously but you know knew him well and he got some really good friends there really good friends and um but he worked away for the nhs for um as i say in a hospital for people with learning disabilities and he was there for 25 years i think and he retired at the age of 55 because in those days um well i think still maybe now that people nurses that are working in like mental health sectors and those sectors could take retirement at the age of 55. Um, So again, that was always dad's plan that that's what he would do. And he did. And I suppose another thing about him, a hard worker, and he retired with an unblemished record, not had one day sick. No way. Oh my God. Yeah, I remember that. That is a rarity, isn't it? Yeah, Mm. yeah. You know, he was that stoic, Mm. stoic kind of a man, just worked, worked, worked.
1: Did he return to the Ukraine at any stage?
0: Um, Not until 1989, I think. It was 47 years, anyway. So that
1: was the first time he had gone back since he was taken by the Germans? Yes. Oh, my God.
0: He couldn't go back, you see, because you couldn't go into Ukraine at that time because of the Iron Curtain. Right. Um, And if I'm right now, this is a little bit vague. I know for certain he went in 1989 after the Iron Curtain had come down and he went home, home, and his mother was still alive at that stage. Oh, wow. She was about 90. But I think he went slight, just before the Iron Curtain came down, the first time he went, but on the first occasion, they had to go as, on a package tour, you know, and he couldn't go home-home. He couldn't go over and go to his own home. He um, went to Lviv, which was not too far from where he lived, and his sister and his mother met him there. He, as I say, he couldn't go home. And now this is, I'm trying to relate this now to what's happening today in the Mm. Ukraine. Um, He met them and they had had a visit from the Russian police the week before and said, you have got visitors from the West. No. Yeah. Oh my God. So they knew they were coming, you know, and I say that was, that was just before the Iron Curtain came down. So the Russians were still in Ukraine at that time and still had complete Ukraine, um, control of mm. the Ukrainian people. They couldn't have their own, you know, they couldn't celebrate their own nationality, mm. you know, which, which is, like I was saying to you earlier, this is why it's, to me, when you look at what's happening today, mm. it's just history repeating yeah. itself almost like, you know. But um, the second time Dad went, then in '89, he went home. They he went home and he went home for two and a half weeks, and he spent the time at his sister's. And I say his mum was still alive. And
1: am I right in saying then that his parents wouldn't have seen him in that time, or did they? No, manage, no, no. They didn't see him at all.
0: No, 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 no. He didn't see any of his.
1: So they didn't, family in that. They time. they they maybe couldn't leave Ukraine to. No,
0: no, no. They wouldn't have been able to leave Ukraine. Oh you see, my God. You know. I think that's what just trying to comprehend so that alone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I what I do remember is the first time they went. Um, I can remember mum saying because obviously mum had never been to Ukraine until that time, and she said um, they were told the first time they went, you know, take American dollars because that's what you use as currency yeah. over there, and she said there are fabulous big department stores. They're there for show. They were there for um, the visitors right. and for the tourists. Got you. But the local people, the Ukrainians, had to shop in ordinary little shops. That again, you know, that resources were scarce in. Because mm. she said one day she she there was a big queue coming out of a shop, and of course she said to Dad like, "God, what are they queuing for?" Like thinking, you know, something interesting. Well, we find out, and it was washing powder. Yeah. You know, and, and that's as late as 1988, 89. Yeah, I can you remember know. my
1: own aunt going to... She was married to a Polish man, going to Poland, and they're queuing up for bread. Yes. Massive, huge yeah. queues for
0: yeah.
1: loaves of bread. Yeah. You know?
0: You know, I, as I say, that's why, saying relating it to what's happening today, it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking watching what's happening over there, and all those people that are being displaced and leaving their homes you know, they don't know if they're ever going to go back no. again, and you know. You can't f-
1: imagine what that is like no. until that happens no. to you.
0: No, not You can't at imagine it no. at all. We're looking no. at
1: the TV pictures and the newspapers thinking, oh my God, this is diabolical. It's yeah. So sad to see and people's homes and lives being ruined.
0: Yeah. But yeah. You can't imagine that. You can't imagine, no. But I do know. You know, if I can tell you one story, and again, it, it's only from what I remember Dad telling us. Um, I have, Dad had a younger sister who was always in the Ukraine, you know, and we did meet them in nineteen in the 1990s that she managed to come over. Um, but I had two cousins, a, a boy and a girl, um, and the boy was about my age, um, and when he left school, when he finished school, he passed all his exams and things. They went out celebrating, as they do. So um, we would have been talking in the early 70s at this stage, and obviously Russians were still in there. Mm. Um, And he went out celebrating, and um, he rose a Ukrainian flag um, at the school, or somewhere nearby he put up a Ukrainian flag in celebration. And that boy was dead the next day. Oh my God. And the official line was, that he was poisoned from the carbon monoxide fire, the gas fire in the house. Um, His family only ever, uh, his family don't believe that was the cause. He was definitely poisoned, Mm. but obviously they were all in the house. Nobody else got carbon monoxide poisoning and the gas fire wasn't on. But the official sort of verdict was it was carbon monoxide poisoning from the gas fire, and they could never dispute it.
1: Also, you said when your dad went back to the Ukraine after 47 years, that his mother was alive. So I gather yeah. his father had passed away. Yes, he passed
0: away. I read that, I, I think in the early 60s, he, he passed away. So he never saw so his dad again. I was about
1: to say, oh my God, so no, sad. No, he so never sad. saw his dad
0: again, yeah, yeah. When
1: did he come to Clonville?
0: Um, in 1982, when okay. he retired. he mm. Literally, he retired from the NHS and at that stage, now th- this house now that we're in. This is um, in,
1: just out the road in Kilmore?
0: In Kilmore, yeah. yeah. Um, this house was my mum's grandmother's house originally um, and an uncle of my mum's um, lived in it up until the late 1979, 80, around that time, and then unfortunately he ended up in um, St Patrick's Hospital in Cashel when he got blind and, and was quite unwell. Um, but anyway, he passed away, and then Mum's aunts and uncles um, that sort of had a say in the house, if you like, didn't want, didn't mm. want it. By that stage, it was a derelict little cottage, so um, that was Mum and Dad. Mum and Dad got. Got the cottage and um, did it up and extended it and everything and you know and that was all he wanted and he was happiest here, you know. He came here in eighty two, and died in two thousand and eight. Wow! Yeah, but loved it here, very much part of the community. I was about
1: to ask you, was yeah. he? Yeah, yeah,
0: he was very much part of the community. Yeah, he. Um, Big into golf, very big into golf. So she involved
1: in the Clonmel Golf Club, in no Clonmel doubt. Clonmel
0: Golf Club, and um, I think in some years he was sort of he helped. Did train he participate the at all? Any
1: of the competitions? I'm oh, sure he did.
0: Oh my did he win? Do you know? You, oh, certainly. Now I can show. you. I'm getting you. the impression he's very competitive. <laughs> yeah, I can show you. Um, Waterford crystal vases no and things that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he absolutely mum was a golf widow. Oh, no way, 100% <laughs> a golf widow. Like, you know, he would, yeah. Um, he but he loved it, he loved it, and he had some really, really good friends up in the golf club, like Jim canan Eddie Foyle. Unfortunately, they have. Both passed away. Eddie, Eddie, actually, fairly recently, in fairness, um, but they were very, very good friends. And you know, after Dad had his, he had a stroke, which was what stopped him being able to play go- Although is- after the first stroke, he continued <laughs> to go up and hit a few, a few balls, um, but it, he, 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 you know, it stopped him from being able to take part. But they called on a regular basis, once a week, to spend a bit of time with him, and you know.
1: I'm sure he fished the waters too. Did he
0: loved fishing? Yeah, <laughs> loved fishing. That was another thing. Like if he wasn't in the golf club in the day, then he was in the in the at the <laughs> river in the evenings there, and just the, down the road there by Thorny Bridge. You know, um, he just loved the the lifestyle here and was really really happy. Table tennis was another thing. That ah. that's what he would do. So he would have gone to
1: Hillview, Hill, no Hill, doubt, Hill, down to play Hill, table Hill. tennis, he would he?
0: Indeed, yeah, yeah. Loved to play table tennis, yeah. He was just an all-rounder, like, you know, he put a hundred percent into everything he did.
1: And when he came to Clonmel, then, did he go back to the Ukraine much or not?
0: No, that's the only two times that he went, in fairness. When um, we came, as in my husband and I came in 2002, that was after my mother had passed away and um, Phil had had surgery, you know, which was the reason we came back hmm. because Dad was here on his own, and he did actually say to me when I was first back, you know, he said I wouldn't mind going to Ukraine one more time, hmm. you know, and I uh, said, well, look, we can think about it, and that, but unfortunately, then he had another stroke, and then it, you know, it just prevented him being able to, to travel.
1: When did he pass away?
0: In two
1: thousand and eight. Two thousand
0: eight. How old was he? Yeah. He was eight.
1: 82. 82 years of age. Wow. I'm just thinking now of the history that man had of his life.
0: I know. You
1: think back now, as you said, growing up in Ukraine, they're being taken by the Germans at 15. You know, if he was here today, I'd love to be talking to him about everything. I really would love to be talking to him. Even what you just told us now today. So interesting. I know, yeah, and yes. like you say, to be as honest, so would I. Be, you know, <laughs> I be know.
0: wanting to. I suppose, especially about Ukraine, because yeah, yeah. Um, it was ne- it was never able to be part of our lives as such when mm. we were children. Like you know, because we you couldn't, they couldn't go there, we couldn't go there. Mm. Um, that when we lived in the UK, there was a Ukrainian church, and we did. We all got our first Holy communions in the Ukrainian church, and mm. you know. Um, so do you that still have family easy. over there? We have a Relations? cousin. Relations? We have a cousin. Are definitely. you in contact at all? No, unfortunately. So you don't know no, what the situation is right now? No. no. Right. Now they're still in the same place, so they're still in the West. They're mm. not too, they're sort of to, near the Hungarian border, I think. So please God, they're mm. relatively all right at the moment. But
1: Did you ever get the chance to go there yourselves?
0: No, no, no. And again, before the war, mm. um, there was talks about it, you know, and I suppose myself and my siblings, we're all now getting to retired age, you know, and we have had conversations, mm. you know, and not long before the war happened, I had said to them, do you ever fancy, do you think we should ever go to Ukraine and, you know, just Based go and see? And, yeah. yeah. And, mm. you know, and then that happened and, you know, um, but none of us have actually ever been to the Ukraine.
1: Well, our prayers are with the Ukrainian people absolutely, right now. Yeah. In the meantime, yeah. Anne Guida, thank you so much for telling us your father's story on the Clonmel podcast Not at week.
0: all. Thank you very much, Mark. The Clonmel podcast.
1: Wow, what a story. Thank you, Anne, for sharing that with us on the Clonmel podcast. So there we have it. That is the Clonmel podcast for this Friday, the 8th of April. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email the Podcast at gmail.com. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, and also on the website www.theclonmailpodcast.com. Have a safe week, look after one another, and I'll talk to you next week. This podcast was brought to you by County Tipperary Skillnet. Flexible, industry-relevant, subsidised training for people in business. Find out more at countytipperaryskillnet.com or call 5261 9-1-1-0-5 Skillnet Ireland is funded from the National Training Fund through the Department of Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science.
0: You've been listening to the Clonmel podcast with Mark Whelan, produced by Western Audio Productions. Your town, your
3: podcast.